Thanks for listening to the Light Church Podcast. This sermon was recorded in Encinitas, California. We pray that the Lord would speak to you through His Word. For more information, you can visit our website, lightsandiego.com. All right, Mark chapter 2, let's talk about Jesus. Mark chapter 2, I'm going to go ahead and read from this and you can follow on the screen or on your phone, which is totally fine. Um, One time, Jesus entered a house, this is Mark chapter 2, verse 20, and the crowds began to gather again. And soon he and his disciples couldn't even find time to eat. When he and his family heard what was, when his family heard what was happening, they tried to take him away. He's out of his mind, they said. But the teachers of religious law who had arrived from Jerusalem said, he's possessed by Satan, the prince of demons. It's only by the power of demons that he does this thing. You know, I think sometimes we forget that Jesus had a family. Jesus had a family. Like, we forget that Jesus had brothers and at least one sister that we know of. Isn't that, isn't that wild to think about? So before, you know, he had a very special birth. Can I get a witness? Virgin birth with, with Joseph and Mary, and he was the firstborn in his family. But he had brothers and sisters, and we know this to be true because the Gospels talk about them, but we, all know, also know that, um, we also know that because of stories like this, where it says that he has an encounter with his brothers and his sister. And uh, how did Jesus' family uh, treat him? How did they feel about him? Give me a thumbs up or a thumbs down. How were Jesus' family? Were they good to him? Were they bad to him? Were they, were they believers that he was the Messiah? Were they, were, were, do, you guys, do you guys know? He, uh, I mean... First of all, can we talk about Jesus being an older brother? I'm pretty sure he was a great older brother. Can we just say that? I'm pretty sure he was an awesome older brother. I'm pretty sure he loved his brother and his sister, and I'm pretty sure he took care of them and loved them and served them and changed their diapers. And, um, you know, I, I, I mean, it probably wasn't the best to have your mom say things like, why can't you be a little bit more like your older brother Jesus? I'm pretty <laughs> sure that stings a little bit. Um, but, uh, you know, I'm pretty sure he was awesome to them. You know, we know that Jesus, if you're new to faith, you know, he's the incarnation of God. He's the God who left heaven and came to earth to be a man. Are we on the same page with that? He's not the man who became a God because he was so good and he was so, you know, enlightened that he became God. He's the God who left everything behind and came into humanity so that we could know what God is like and what God would do if he was here. And we could say things like, what would Jesus do, right? And we mean, what is the best case scenario? So we know that if there was ever a competition for best older brother that's ever lived, Jesus would be the best older brother that ever lived. He was the ultimate older brother. And yet we read these times like this, and I want to get into this, where Jesus experienced something that all of us experience, and it's the most heartbreaking thing that we go through. And I want to talk about this this morning. And uh, if you're taking notes, the title of the message is How to Overcome Betrayal. Jesus overcame and experienced a lot of betrayal. And one of the things that we forget is with his own family. Here's a story about Jesus, and he says in Mark chapter 3 here that he's doing ministry. He's, he's loving people. He's casting demons out of people. There's deaf people that have never heard before that are hearing. There's blind people that have never seen before that are seeing. There's teaching that people have never heard before. And it says people are just gathered from all around to experience what they would later realize is God come to earth. And so they're just gathering around, and it says that they're so busy that they don't even have time to eat. And so somebody says, hey, um, outside are your your mother and your brothers and your sister, your family's outside, and maybe Jesus is thinking to himself, oh, great, maybe they've come, you know, to bring me a sandwich because I'm hungry. Maybe maybe they're here to help a little bit, you know? And uh, they say, no, actually, they're telling everybody, 
that you're out of your mind. And if you read that phrase in the Greek language before it's translated into English, it's not like, you know, the saying, oh, he's out of his mind. It's like, they think that you're crazy. They think that you've lost it, like you've had a mental break. And the scriptures go on to say here that they actually are showing up because they're trying to get him to stop doing what he's doing. Let me continue reading. It says, then Jesus' mother and brothers came to see him, verse 31, and they stood outside and they sent word for him to come out and talk with him. There was a crowd sitting with him. You know, it says that they tried to take him away. That is a physical language. They tried to actually, I don't know how to say it. They tried to 5150 Jesus is what they tried to do. They tried to get him to stop preaching God's word and loving people and doing what he's doing. At this point, they're trying to get him to stop doing what God's called him to do and follow them somewhere else. I mean, this, is a, this has got to be so hard for Christ to have his mother that he's always loved and his brothers and his sister. It's got to be so hard. You know, they didn't, they didn't believe him. You know that? You know that like his brothers didn't believe that he was the Messiah? Did you know they called, they called him crazy, his own family? Do you realize that they were embarrassed of him? Now, it didn't always last that way, because spoiler alert, I don't know if you've gotten to the end of this, but uh, Jesus comes back from the dead, and then they're like, you know what, maybe you were right. Maybe we should believe you. Maybe, maybe this whole time you've been telling it, right? And they go on to be believers, right? We see James, Jesus' brother, wrote the book of James in the Bible. That's Jesus' brother. We see Jude at the end of the Bible. It's like one page if you ever want to just read a whole book in one shot. It's one page. Jude is Jesus' brother. So they go on later to believe Jesus, but it didn't start off very good. In fact, it was, it was a lot of betrayal, and Jesus experienced that. And I just wonder if there's anybody at Light Church this morning who you've also experienced family turning their back on you or not being there for you or saying things about you behind your back. Or how about this one? It says that his his co-workers or the, the religious society, the other religious leaders, because Jesus was a rabbi and he had contemporaries, they, they are telling people what? His family's saying, you're out of your mind. We need to get you to stop. You need to come home with us. We need to lock you up, put you in a straitjacket. And then what are the religious leaders saying? Oh, you've got a demon. There's a demon in you and that's why you have power because Satan is empowering you to do this. Anybody ever try to do something for God and you have the right intentions and everybody begins to say that you have the wrong intentions? How, how, how awful does that feel? So he's got people challenging his intentions and his motives. He's got telling him that he's possessed by a demon, which I think is pretty hurtful. And then he's got his own family not on his side. I just want to know how Jesus handles betrayal like that. And today, if we could just look at the three things Jesus didn't do when he was facing betrayal, I think we all might walk out of here a little bit better than we walked in. Anybody want to be more like Jesus today? Do you come to church to stay the same or do you come to church because you want to be more like Jesus? Let's, let's look at what he didn't do. Sometimes when I'm discipling guys or whatever and they're in, a, they're in a crisis, they're in a hot mess, I'm like, let's just talk about how we could make this worse. Let's just talk about the, how this could get worse, guys. Here's what not to do. Can I just pass you this morning? Here's what not to do when you're facing betrayal. Because who in here knows that when somebody has turned their back on us, when the rug's been pulled out from underneath us, when we're absolutely blindsided by a friend or a family mer- member or a family murder, a family murderer uh, or, or a coworker, you know, when you've been blind copied on an email to your supervisor, someone's like, I didn't come to church for this. I didn't come to church for this. <laughs> This idea of getting absolutely, you know, cold cocked, just blindsided, and you're like, you know, it's a storm that happens. 
There's this anger that kind of happens. There's there's all these emotions that happen. And look at how Jesus responds. Look at what he doesn't do. If you're taking notes, number one, here's what he doesn't do. He doesn't make a permanent decision during a storm. What I mean a storm is, um, my father-in-law taught me this, you know, things in life happen and they, they, they catch you out of nowhere. And it's almost like your emotions are like a storm. And you're almost trying to figure out like why you feel the way that you feel. You're like, I know that I'm angry, but why am I so angry? Well, the truth is, is that anger, don't you know, is a secondary emotion. When we get hurt by somebody, what manifests is anger, but sometimes we don't realize that it's actually the hurt, the the betrayal that made us so angry. And that means that the anger doesn't really go away until the hurt gets healed. Are you with me? And so you get angry, but you kind of have to like reverse engineer that. What is it that hurt me? And Jesus is definitely tempted right here to be hurt and to be betrayed and to get angry. Don't you know that, that, that this had to Jesus could have said, oh, my mother and brothers and sisters, are, they're, they're standing outside. You know what? Send them this message. I got a little message for them. I got a little message for old mom. And, and Is that James out there? Is that James? Been changing that fool's diaper since he was, you want to know how long he was in diapers? Like he, could have, he could have just gone after, but instead, what does he not do, right? What does he not do? I don't know about you, but I don't want to, I don't want to be the kind of person that's impulsive and reactionary. I want to be like Jesus. I don't want to make a permanent decision during a storm. I want to have self-control during a storm. A permanent decision during a storm, that's got lasting effects. That's got ramifications. There's consequences when you jump to a conclusion or you do something that you can't take back simply because your emotions are in a storm. Like I remember um, I was in school, you know, probably with Benji 10 years ago or something like that, and I was taking this counseling class. And I, I remember... I remember I was supposed to write a paper uh, about something that deeply hurt me. And I was, you know, a young kid, and I wrote about my parents going through a divorce. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but those of you whose parents have gone through a divorce or if you've gone through a divorce, there's a reason why God says he hates divorce, because he hates us going through that pain. Are you guys with me? He hates seeing us go through that. It's so awful. And so I write this paper, and I send it, and the, and the, and the, and the, the professor, Dr. Well, I'm not going to say her name. I'm not going to say her name today, but Dr. Hudson-Dorfer sends me back a letter <laughs> And she, and she says basically, like in two sentences, she's like, hey, um, you know, I need you to write about something more painful than this. And I was just so hurt by that, you know, because I had been, I had like almost like, I felt exposed talking to somebody or writing about something that was so, you know, dear to me or so, so real and personal. I felt so exposed just even writing that paper. And then for her to just discount that, you know, and to say, you know what, that's not good enough. Like, I absolutely, like, lost it. And I, you know, anybody ever just write, like, the most scathing email ever, and you're just, like, couldn't be more excited about writing that email? You're like, oh, okay. Okay, you know what time it is. You're, like, stretching. (laughs) I'm sending this to you. I'm copying the dean of students on this. I'm going to get, you know. And I, like, sent this whole thing, and, like, you know, uh, and then I called the school. (laughs) It's so embarrassing. I called the school, and, like, they didn't answer. I got the voicemail about Dr. Hudson-Dorfer, and, uh, like three days later, they call me back and they're like, yeah, we just want to follow up on this voicemail and this email and this scroll and this whatever, this Morse code that you sent us. And at that point, don't you know, three days later, I was already starting to get over it. You know, we have a saying like, uh, time heals all wounds. That's not in the Bible, okay? Time doesn't heal wounds. Jesus heals wounds. Can I get a witness? But time does help you forget. And sometimes if you make a permanent decision during a storm, you don't have time on your side. 
And so what you got to do is you got to choose self-control, which is a fruit of the Spirit. You have self-control when you don't even realize you have self-control. That's what I'm trying. Jesus used self-control even though he didn't feel like having self-control. And I remember they, they, when they finally called me back and I talked to the school, I was like, you know what? I overreacted. I shouldn't have sent, you know. But how do you think the rest of that semester went with that professor, you know, after being a total knucklehead like that? And I had this, I had created this, and that wasn't the only class I was ever going to take with her, by the way. So it was like, it was this whole problem that I stirred up simply if I just would have had some self-control. Anybody in here today just trying to be more like Jesus and just take a break, just let God's grace calm you down for a minute, just like don't make a permanent decision during a storm. I mean, I see it all the time. I see people in my church, you know, they, they're in a relationship and they think this person is the one just because they met him in church. By the way, just because you met somebody in church, can we just have a talk about this? That doesn't mean they're the one, you know what I mean? The church is like a hospital, right? And some patients are refusing treatment, okay? So like you don't, don't be like, oh yeah, they're the one because they, you know, lift their hands in worship, you know? That's just, anyway. Anyways, um, so, uh, oh yeah, so you're like, you know, I'll see people in my church and they're, they're in this relationship, they think that they're the one and that, you know, you open up yourself to people at church differently because they love God and you love God and it is intimate. And then next thing you know, they break up and you're like, what are you doing now? And they're like, oh, I'm dating so-and-so from the worship team. And I'm just, I'm like, how did, what, I thought that person was like, you know, it for you. And then don't you realize that when we rebound into a relationship with a broken heart, that's making a permanent decision during a storm. We need to step back and be like, God, you need to have my heart. You need to heal me. I need to receive your grace so that I don't make a permanent, so I don't go in and break, you know, the drummer from the worship team's heart right after this. You know, I, I, I gotta, I have to like choose self-control. Come on, turn the person next to you and say, don't make a permanent decision during a storm. Let them know. Don't make a permanent decision during a storm. Choose self-control. This is how, this is what Jesus does. He doesn't react. He doesn't overreact. In fact, what he does is he does respond. It says here, it says, there was a crowd sitting around Jesus and someone said, your mother and brothers are outside asking for you. And then what did Jesus say? Jesus says, who are my mother? Who are my brothers? And then he looked at those around him and said, look, these are my mother and brothers. Anyone who does God's will is my brother, sister, and mother. Jesus comes up with a plan to respond to his greatest, probably at this point, temptation, this is the very beginning of his ministry, to get hurt and to live in hurt. And he says, you know what? My mother and my brothers and sisters, they don't have my back right now, but rather than direct my energy toward defending myself or trying to explain myself to them, or the worst, go outside, entertain this and go that way, let me look at the people who are around me right now and they're going this direction. They're doing the will of my Father. They're going somewhere. They're going where God's taking me. I need to look at the people around me and say, these are my mother and brother and sisters. These are my spiritual family. And though I don't have a physical family who's got my back right now, we'll pray for them and we'll believe for them to come around, which they did. But right now I need to actually lean into the people that I do have around me, which is a spiritual family. Rather than take energy and go that direction, I'm going to double down on following Jesus, following God, obeying him. And really, these are like my mother and brother and sisters right here. This is my spiritual family. Anybody grateful for Light Church today? You're grateful for the people who are sitting on your row, the people on your open tables, the people you serve with. Anybody grateful for your church? I'm more grateful for your church than you. That's okay. It's a little awkward. But anybody grateful for a spiritual family? Aren't you glad God gave you a spiritual family? That you're not like just an only child in the body of Christ, but you got brothers and you got sisters. And sometimes when, you're, when your earthly family's not there for you, you do have some 
you do have some spiritual family that for Jesus, as an example, is just as good, maybe even better sometimes. Number one, like don't make a permanent decision during the storm. Number two is let's, have, um, let's not have unrealist, unrealistic expectations on people. And I think that's a part of what Jesus did so well that we can learn from is that he did not have expectations on people that were too high. He had healthy expectations on people. And it sounds so simple, but it's like it was hard for people to let Jesus down because he had healthy expectations on them. I want to read a verse to you that's a little bit dangerous. I know that kind of sounds crazy to read this to you, but say that. But I'm, I'm going to read this to you, and, and, and a lot of people don't know about this verse. And the truth is, is it's, I had to pray about it before I shared it with you because this could be the kind of thing where you, where you use this verse the wrong way. You ever seen somebody take the Bible and use it out of context and do more harm than good? So don't do that with this. You promise? John chapter 2, the very end of John chapter 2, you know, he's, Jesus' ministry is exploding, and everybody's coming to him, and it's just, he's just taken off. And it says here at the very end of John chapter 2, verse 23, because of the miraculous signs that Jesus did in Jerusalem, because of the miracles, guys, it says the Passover celebration, many began to trust in him. But Verse 24, but Jesus did not trust in them. And then somebody at Light Church said, amen, that's the only verse I needed. I just need you to tell me I didn't have to trust people. <laughs> somebody said, oh, that's all I need to know. Jesus didn't trust people. I don't trust people. I, that's perfect. I'm just going to be like Jesus, and I'm not going to open my heart to anybody because last time I opened my heart to somebody, I got hurt. No, that's not, that's not what he's saying here. He's not saying that. He said, said, they tried to trust Jesus, but Jesus didn't trust them because he knew human nature. No one needed to tell Jesus what mankind is really like. In other words, Jesus had proper expectations on people. He didn't have unrealistic expectations on them just because they were church people or because they were Christians or because they were supposed to be their family or because, because they were, you know, said that they loved them back or they loved them as much as they loved. Jesus had a way of saying, you know what, I'm going to treat people and see people the way God created them, and that's as imperfect and in need of grace. What if we saw people the way God sees people? I think sometimes we have, more, we have higher expectations on people than, than God does. I think we have higher expectations than God does. You know, a great example of this is Jesus on the cross being murdered, having a spear by a, a, a soldier shoved into his side, and he looks down at the one who's torturing him, laughing at him, mocking him, and what does he say about that guy? He says, Father, forgive him. Why? He knows not what he's doing. Do you hear the, you hear the grace in his voice, but do you also hear the, the expectations? He doesn't even know what he's doing. He's giving him the benefit of the doubt. He's, letting, he's, he's extending grace, assuming that that person needs extra grace for that moment. Now, I want to be like Jesus. I want to be the kind of person that can forgive and give somebody the benefit of the doubt, that I can let it slide. You know, we, we read verses like this, and we think about expectations on people, and we, we've gone through you know, enough of being hurt and, and being betrayed. And next thing you know, we start closing off our heart to people and we think that those boundaries are the safest way to live life. And I'm not here to say that you shouldn't have boundaries when people are unsafe. But I can tell you this, following Jesus, the path of, of, the, of picking up your cross and following him, it's going to include some betrayal. Can we have church? Look at Jesus's life. Who got betrayed more than Jesus? He got betrayed by everybody in his life. Everybody from his family, what we're talking about today, to his followers. You know, the scripture says that he knew that Judas was going to betray him even before he betrayed him. 
Jesus was investing in loving Judas, even though he knew that he was going to do him dirty. He was repaid by Peter. He was at the cross, and most of his disciples weren't there. Even it says when he was ascending to heaven, it says they were worshiping him, but some still doubted. I mean, this Jesus, how about, how about, um, how about um, Barabbas? Remember, they're like, you know what? We would have, rather have the, the crowds, like, we'd rather have the murderer than have uh, the Savior. And they picked Barabbas over him. I mean, it's just constantly being, being betrayed. And I just wonder if somebody needs to hear today that that's part of the program. Following Jesus and getting betrayed, I, I hate to be the, the bearer of bad news, but don't quote me, quote Jesus in Luke 21, 16, where he says, you will be betrayed. Luke 20, 21, 16, you will be betrayed by mother, by brothers, by parents. And he warns his disciples, this is kind of with it. And think about this for a second. If, if we live this, this philosophy of this worldview, that there's a God who's so good and so wonderful that he would never let anything bad happen to us. Can we just challenge that for a second? Just because God loves us doesn't mean he's not going to let bad things happen to us because God's end game is not for us to be happy and to be comfortable and to, be, and to have everything perfect. God's end game for your life and for my life, come on, is to be more like Christ. God's transforming you to be more like Christ. Romans 8, 28, and 29, everybody loves Romans 8, 28, which God can use all things to the good who those who love him and are according to his purpose, right? God doesn't have to waste pain. He can take any bad thing and use it for his good. We love that, but we forget the next verse, verse 29, that says, God in advance predestines you to become like Christ. And if you are gonna become like Christ, if you're gonna become like Jesus, if you're gonna be in the will of God, friend, then you're gonna have to learn how to forgive. And how are you going to learn how to forgive if God, does, God never lets somebody hurt you? How are you going to be like Jesus if you don't learn to get over some betrayal in your life? And I know that's not a great message to hear. I know that's not, that's not fun to hear. But the truth is, some of you guys have pain in your heart right now, and you've gone through some awful things. And that's actually the greatest opening for God's grace to come into your life and heal you. Not to waste the pain, to bring you closer to God. And I'm not saying God caused those things in your life. I'm not saying he caused your wife to cheat on you or he caused your coworker to turn their back on you or whatever. I'm not saying he caused that. But anybody grateful for a God who can take something as horrendous as betrayal and use that as a way to make us more like Jesus and bring us closer to him? He's a good God like that. You can take your pain and your betrayal today and say, you know what, God? I don't want to carry this anymore. I need your help to forgive and I need your help to make me more like you. And if there's a God who would let all these all these moments of betrayal and all these seasons of betrayal happened to Jesus, his perfect son. Don't you know that he would let it happen to us as well, his sons and his daughters? And so I know that's a sobering message, but are we ever more like God than when we forgive? Are we ever more like God's love than when we pursue reconciliation? And point number three, when we don't take revenge. When we don't take revenge. Romans 12 talks about, you know, you ever heard the, the, the saying, uh, revenge is mine, thus saith the Lord. That's the King James Version. Here's what it says uh, in the NLT. He says, never pay back evil with more evil. Do things in such a way that everyone can see you're honorable. Do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. Do all that you can. Meaning, it takes one to forgive, but it takes two to reconcile, right? So you want to reconcile with somebody, it's not just on you. He says, pursue reconciliation, but do all that you can. You might not be able to reconcile some things, but you got to give it your best. Do all that you can. Dear friends, never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. For the scripture says, I will take revenge. I will pay them back, says the Lord. 
Instead, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink. In doing this, you will keep burning coals of shame on their head. Don't let evil conquer you, but conquer evil by doing good. He says, don't repay evil with evil. He says, I love the, the, the NIV translation. It says, leave room for God. I love that. He says, if you make a permanent decision during the storm, if you, if you jump in, if you, if you try to treat somebody above how God has really created them to be, if you have too high expectations, if you jump in, you try to get revenge, if Jesus would have turned his followers against his family to get revenge on them, if he would have said something with his authority about them to get revenge, right? If he would have done anything in that direction, he would have been taking away what God says is his job to do. He says, revenge is mine, saith the Lord. And one, and one translation just says, make room for God to do what God's going to do. And I'll just remind you guys, you are his son. You are his daughter, those of you that are in Christ. And he's seen every tear that's ever rolled down your cheek. He's seen every chapter in your story. He knows all that pain. And like I mentioned earlier, he didn't cause it. He didn't want it to happen to you. But he's seen it. He was there. And there will come a day, can I get a witness, when Jesus will return and he'll make all things right. And then when he returns, he'll wipe all those tears. He says he's counted every one of those tears. And he'll make all things right because you know what? He saw it happen to his daughter, and he's got a plan. You know, the other day I was at a soccer game. I have a 13-year-old son, I have a 9-year-old son, and I have an 8-year-old daughter, okay? And uh, I was, my, my daughter, she's my favorite of all three of them. And um, <laughs> it's not a secret. The family knows that. And um, life's not fair. And then I... <laughs> I was at a soccer game, and she's playing her first game of soccer, and, uh, and some, she's small for her age, and some uh, big old kid knocked her down, and I, um, I'm embarrassed to say this, um, I just, I teleported. I just landed next to the fence, and I'm leaning over the fence, <laughs> and, I'm, and I don't know what I was planning on doing, but um, I just, I teleported there, and, and my wife's like, going, hey, what are you doing? My wife's doing this to me, and I'm just leaning over the fence. And it was just a father's reaction to my daughter that was in pain. Somebody did something to my daughter, and I just reacted like a father. Any dads in the house just trying not to do time for their daughters? Anybody else other than me? <laughs> just trying not to make a permanent decision during the storm that puts me behind bars. Anybody else just not trying to get physical with other nine-year-old kids at soccer games? So I'm, I'm leaning over the fence, and I see my daughter, and I'm just like, back up for a second. But it's so wild to think that was in me that nature to take care and protect my daughter, that comes from a heavenly father who made me in his image, Light Church. And God sees the things that have happened to you, the betrayal that's gone down, the things that were unfair, that caught you by surprise. And God says, hey, let me make some room to take, make some room, let me take care of it for you. Don't, instead of trying to repay evil with evil, you know, let me take care of it. Let me, let me bring this thing around for you. Some of us just need to decide in moments of betrayal if we're going to jump in and we're going to do this ourselves, or if we're going to make room and let God be God. Are you going to let him be your father? Are you going to let him take care of it? Because oftentimes that surrender is the biggest step of faith that we can take. Hey, will you stand to your feet? I'm going to invite the band up, and we're going to go back into the bridge of this song. But the best way, I think, to respond to the Holy Spirit is, is really to make room even for God to work on our hearts this morning. The truth is, is that, you know, when we carry unforgiveness or bitterness, you know, it, it's like, it's really hard for God to take us into where he wants us to go and make us more like Jesus. You're never more like God than when you forgive. And, you know, people say, you know, forgiveness, I forgive, 
but I don't forget. You've heard people say that, right? I forgive, but I don't forget. You know, you hurt me once, shame on me. You hurt, shame on you, you hurt me twice, shame on you. You've heard this kind of stuff. I forgive, but I don't forget. The truth is, is that that's absolutely pride, is it not? That's absolutely pride. Anybody grateful for a savior that not only forgives, but he forgets? Aren't you glad Corinthians 13 says that love keeps no record of wrongs? God's not throwing anything back in your face. He's not reminding you of what you used to do or who you used to be. He's forgiven you, he's set you free, and he's put all that behind him. And he wants you to be an extension of God's love and grace like that to others. Come on, we gotta be the kind of people, the church, that when somebody does something to us, we can say, Father, forgive them, they know not what they do. You know, we gotta be able to be unoffendable. I, I personally think that the church, that we, we should be the most unoffendable people in the world. I think it should be almost impossible to offend us. I think because we're the, the recipients of the greatest grace that the world has ever seen, come on, we're able to just give grace that we didn't even know we had. We're able to just draw upon a love that we didn't even know that we had, but lives in us and has chosen to empower us. Say, so you know what? I'm gonna let this thing slide. I'm gonna give you the benefit of the doubt. I'm gonna forgive. I'm gonna let it go. Some of you today just need to refollow somebody. You need to unblock somebody on Instagram today. You just need to you just say, you know what? I'm not gonna let that bitterness dictate my life. I'm gonna let God's grace lead my life. Thanks for listening to the Light Church Podcast. This sermon was recorded in Encinitas, California. We pray that the Lord would speak to you through his word. For more information, you can visit our website, lightsandiego.com.